the next day I sent an email to my manager and I just said, Hey, I've got all these things I want to do this year. I have all this music I want to release. And, um, it was, a, it was, a, it was a long list of stuff. And, um, and he called me a couple hours later and he was like, Hey man, he was like, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about the list of things that you sent today. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? And like Jimmy Fallon heard your song swinging and he's obsessed with it. And it's like his anthem. You're going to be playing with the roots on the 26th. Hello, friends and damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where I talk with people who want to live a meaningful life, people who give a damn. Thank you so much for being here. My aim is for this conversation to give you hope and to push you to give more dams than ever before. Earlier this week, I released my regular weekly conversation with actor and activist Coleman Domingo. We usually do one a week. Uh, this week, however, there's a bonus episode. This week, I wanted to add a special conversation that I had with a very special guest. Why? Because I believe it contains a message about not giving up that many of you need to hear right now. I know I needed to hear it. This week's conversation is mind-blowing. I know I use superlatives uh, often, amazing, incredible, mind-blowing, but this one truly is mind-blowing. Again, it was for me anyway. I think it'll be for some, most, or all of you. I don't want to give away too much here in the introduction, but what I do want to do is first tell you that my guest this week is the incredible Thad Cockrell, and second, I want to play you the song that made its way to Jimmy Fallon's ears, and well, as they say, the rest is history. So here is Jimmy Fallon's and my new anthem, Swingin' by Thad Cockrell. Heaven waits for nothing less than giving in to faithfulness. I'll give you time, I'll let it rest, but I'm not down to give up yet. about you but that song gets me so fucking pumped up like if there was an anthem for this pandemic and all the craziness in the world right now i think it should be if i'm gonna go down i want to go down swinging with all of my heart straight into the dark those words are so powerful they mean so much to me y'all this conversation is full of laughs moments of utter disbelief straight honest talk about faith and of course the incredible story of how jimmy fallon the king of the uncynical, as Thad calls him, heard Thad's song and decided to turn Thad's life upside down. Before we begin, as always, a reminder to you that you can anytime and for any reason email me at hello at let's give a damn.com. I love hearing from you. And now 
Let's get right into my conversation with the delightful Thad Cockerell. Let's go. You know, Thad, you and I have been in the same room a few times uh, and, you know, for, for different events, different things over the last three or four years, never gotten a chance to meet you. Um, but I've never seen you at the Abbey though, but people tell me you frequent there quite a bit. Are you there quite a bit? Is that, is that sort of like a, a, a second home to you? It seems like that. I don't know if it'd be a second home, but it's definitely like when I smoke a cigar and I do enjoy cigars, it's, it's the only place I go in town. And I really like, uh, the guys that, that, uh, run that place. They're, they're really good dudes. And, uh, yeah. And it's like, three blocks from my house. So. Yeah. My next question was, it seems like you're close there. I know you're in East, so you're pretty close there then. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a super, super close place. What is your, what's your history with cigars? Like, uh, have you always liked them or in, 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 in what's the purpose? Like, why do you do it? What is it? What does it make you feel? What does it make you do? You know what I like about it is it, it gives you, or it gives me an excuse to not do or think about anything else. And, uh, you know, if, if me and some friends were to light up a cigar, you know, I don't know for something about it. It's, it's very communal. It creates conversation. Uh, I mean, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm native American. I'm on, I'm on like the role of like a native, like a, uh, Indian tribe. It's, Potawatomi tribe and okay when you do studying not just from it like indigenous people they all would sit around a fire and smoke something together you know uh so it's nothing new um but yeah i just enjoy it uh i started i don't know probably smoking cigars in my early 20s um you know it, it isn't like I, I don't have a cigar every day sometimes i'll go a couple of weeks without having one um uh sometimes I'll go a month, but then sometimes I'll, I'll smoke like, you know, when I go out to Montana every year to go fly fishing with my best buds, <laughs> I'll probably smoke like four cigars a day, you know, like first thing in the morning, we light one up and then we go fishing and we're, you know, drinking a, 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 a beer or something and smoking a cigar pretty much the entire day. So, yeah. So I, I, I resonate with all of that. For me, it is deeply spiritual. And uh -huh, I, also, it is. I, I also need, I don't know what your per personality type is, but I need to slow down more often. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I am like, I am on from, you know, early in the morning until two in the morning, right? What, are, I, what, are, you, what are you on the Enneagram? I'm an eight. Yeah, me too. Yeah, hardcore eight. eight. Protect, you know, protagonist, challenger, protector, like always, there's always something to do for eights. Like there's not many, there's no, there's never a good excuse for an eight to like slow down and chill because there's always stuff to fix and stuff to, you know, people to protect and situations to figure out. And so smoking, uh, pipe, cigar, weed, all of the above, like it, it forces me to stop for a little bit because I, yeah. I, ha I can't go anywhere. I can't, I can't do much. For the, I can work and stuff like that, but I can't do much. I have to slow down and I have to settle down and just chill and be with this, oh, yeah. you know, for a moment. So I, I completely resonate with that. Yeah. It's, it's very good for our personality types. It and is. I, I also, I was, uh, 
you know, uh, two or three cigar a week, maybe two, two cigars a week guy before the pandemic started. And then, um, and then the pandemic started and I've been like, uh, I've been a one, a one a day, uh, since last spring, because I just, again, going from being on the road a lot, you know, always on a plane to go somewhere, always on a trip to go somewhere, always in meetings with people to go from that to, Hey, we can't go anywhere. Nick, go clear out your shed and make an office out there with your kids banging on the window all day and, you know, trying to balance that whole thing. Like I, even more than ever, because I wasn't getting my people itch scratched, right? I wasn't getting my meeting itch scratched all that much, you know, outside of Zoom. Uh, And so I needed that, I needed that daily cigar to just like bring me back to earth Uh and and help ground me. So it's a wonderful experience, wonderful experience. Um, I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Likewise, man. I Likewise. thank you. I have been, I've been like a, uh, I, I don't want to lie and say I've been a huge Thad Cockrell fan for years, but I have like you were, you've been on my radar for a long time. And when you put something out, I listened to it. Oh, you've never put anything out that I've heard that I haven't enjoyed. But again, you weren't like on my radar all the time. Right. And then, but I followed you. And then this January thing happened. And, <laughs> Holy shit, man. Like, holy shit. There's, yeah. There's so much to unpack in this conversation. And here's, here's why I have you on the let's give a damn podcast is for people who want to lead the planet better than they found it. It's for people who want to live a meaningful life. It's for people who give a damn people that don't just want to like skate through life, just like coast through life. Right. Yeah. In the process of living that kind of life or trying to, there is a lot of hurry up and wait. There's a lot of failure. There's a lot of trying and trying and trying and whatever we're trying at never comes to, you know, fruition. And so, uh, or, or, or it takes a long, 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 long time to come to fruition. And that's not unique to people who give a damn. That is life, right? That's when you start looking at life, you're like, we're not owed anything. And if life hands us this beautiful thing, fantastic. If it doesn't, well, try something else. Right. But I, but your, your story your the message that you've been sharing this last month, especially you know more more than other times in your life, I think is really um, appropriate for the people that listen to this listen to this podcast. And yeah. so we'll we'll dive into that story in a second. But first, give us some context for who you are. Like go before, way before this January. Who who are you? Where are you from? What are you about? What's been the what are the themes of your life and who? Who have been some of the key people that have shaped you along the way? Pick or choose of the stuff that I just shared with you. Give it, give us an overview of your life. Oh wow. Um, I well, uh, I was born in Kansas City. Uh, my dad uh, was the pastor of a church. My mom was a very involved pastor's wife. I would say they probably now these days it would be easier for them to say that they co-pastored, but they probably did. Uh, and, um, uh, Kansas city two two brothers. I'm the youngest of two of three sons. Um, and, uh, I loved Kansas city. It's, it's still where I, you know, when people say, where are you from? I say my, my dirt's from Kansas city. Nice. Um, when I was nine moved to Tampa, Florida, uh, and, um, and the, 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 the shift between Kansas City and Tampa, um, 
was huge. It's it, massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very different culture. Um, and you know, I, I, I was in a very protected, uh, place in Kansas city, very sheltered. Um, uh, and you know, um, there was no secular music in the house. So, uh, I remember I, you know, I was the kid that would stay up all night listening to music under the pillow. And, um, and I remember from an early age that I, you know, I was really obsessed with songs and, um, and I, I remember like in order for me to like turn the radio off, if I can go, if I could go through the dial and find a song that I didn't love, mm. I would go to sleep. But, you know, and, and I wanted to go to sleep, but, you know, I mean, like, it's so weird. Like a lot of my life, like as a kid, this is like weird stuff. Like um, I remember watching my dad preach and I remember thinking, uh, you know, I guess that's what I'm going to do. I guess I'll preach. And huh. this thought came inside my head that there's, there's just no way to attribute it to other than God, like hiding something like planting a seed because there was no context for this thought. It'd be like running through the desert and get hit upside the head with an ice cream cone. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. like looking around, you're yeah. like, okay, where the hell did that come from? And, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll do that, do what my dad does. And I heard in the thought that came to my head is they'll, they'll, they'll listen to songs before they'll listen to sermons and they'll mm. take them home and listen to them thousands of times. That's wild. As a, as a young kid. I'm like five, six years old. That's okay. And I didn't grow up like I've still yet. I've, I've never gone into my house and heard my parents listening to music because of the pleasure of listening to music. So I didn't grow up in a music loving family. Wow. You know, uh, but I, I, you know, I would, I was the kid that would listen to everything I knew from early age. I had made the distinction that I'm a songs person, not a genre person. And, uh, and, um, and, so, you know, I started making, well, it, it, I didn't start playing music until much later in life. I was, you know, a jock growing up. I was, you know, uh, I, I was lived on a lake. I would like go bass fishing and hunting, had a jacked up truck. <laughs> are you, in, are you at, at this time? Are you in still in Florida? Is this where still you are? Still in Florida. Yeah. 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 It was like captain, you know of the wrestling team, football team, you know, really good athlete, went to college for wrestling. And, um, but I mean, like I, I was obsessed with music growing up, like my entire life. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until I got to college, uh, my assistant wrestling coach was the first person. I don't know why I never thought of it. Like I even went to concerts, like I went to Alabama and like Hank Williams growing up. And yeah. so it's not that I didn't, but for some reason they still didn't strike me as like real people. Sure. You know, until yeah. I was in college and my assistant wrestling coach had played the guitar and he played a, a song for me and that he wrote. And dude, the, the, the mind melted that I was like, you wrote that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And I, I was like, oh my God, like, 
you could write. I don't know why, how I never connected it with like a real person. Sure. And I was like, how do you write songs? And he was like, there's, it was the best answer. But, you know, the way I grew up, uh, which was very legalistic, um, you know, form of Christianity, which is actually has nothing to do with the person of Jesus. Jesus was like <laughs> so radically not legalistic. Um, the, the exact opposite. The I couldn't have been more opposite. Um, uh, but, you know, um, what was I saying? Um, the, his answer, his answer to your question about like, how do, how oh, do you write oh, songs? He, yeah. he, he said, there's no right or wrong way to, to write songs. Sure. And I was like, bullshit. There's a right or wrong yeah. way to do everything, you know? And he was, I was like, when's the verse? When's the chorus? I hear there's a bridge. He's like, you can put anything in anywhere you want. It doesn't matter. You can do it like, it's however you want it. And I remember walking off like genuinely like, like kind of pissed that he had the answers to the, he had the cheat sheet and he wasn't letting me like, you know, look at the cheat sheet, you know? And, uh, and it's interesting. I, you know, the same dude, a couple weeks later, I was walking out of his, his dorm room and he was like, Hey man, he was like, you'd like Neil Young. And I'm like, okay. I'd never heard of Neil Young. I don't never heard his music. And a few days later, I'm laying in bed after like uh, wrestling practice and I've got ice packs all over me. And I'm trying to get my mind off the pain. And so I put on the, the, the earphones for the local radio station. And they were already in the middle of like an eight song block, right? And so, you know, the, the song finishes playing. And then this song comes on. And I knew it was Neil Young. I started bawling my eyes out. Now, and I, I was like, oh, my God, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to try to make something that beautiful. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I don't play guitar. I like nothing. Like, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, uh, and, and sure enough, the DJ comes on and he gives the backlog and he's like, and that was this band and this band. And that was Neil Young's latest song, Harvest Moon. So I, I would encourage everyone listening, go listen to Harvest Moon. It's, it's wildly beautiful. Uh, you cannot like anything else from Neil Young, but you, <laughs> I don't know if there's a, a person alive that won't connect on some level with the emotion and how beautiful this song is. Right. So anyways, it wasn't until probably two years later than that. I, uh, I graduated from college and, and a week before I graduated from college, I had started playing the guitar a little bit. I knew some chords, not very well. And I wrote a, a song in math class over, it was a counter melody to, uh, to a Neil Young song. And, um, and, uh, you know, um, and that was the beginning of my journey. And I moved to Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, uh, which to get my master's and I didn't know it at the time, but like it had an incredible music scene. Um, but this tells you how naive I was to it. I went to like the cool kid record store in, in Raleigh off, it was a cool kicking mule or, or something like that record store off Hillsborough street. And I remember going up to like the indie rocker girl. Um, and, you know, and I was like, uh, I was like, Hey, I'm looking for this band music scene. And, um, and she was like, I don't know if there's a band called music scene. I'm like how oh, I keep hearing about music scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. Right. 
And uh, she's like, oh, I think, like, well, what kind of music do you like? And she turned me on to all kinds of like bands that I was like, I loved. And there was like this cross section of country and rock. I grew up loving country and rock. And it was like all country. And there was a ton of music that was coming out of that time. And, and I grew up obsessed with country music. So, you know, I, I remember thinking like, okay, where do I start? And I could wrap my mind around, around writing country songs. And so that's what I did. I, I was there and, you know, it was just an incredible place for me to, to be able to like start my, my really like artist career, but, you know, I, you know, yeah, it was just really something else to be able to experience. Um, I, I made my first albums, which were like very, you know, old school country records. Um, but, you know, I, I was just, I did a, I was just, I did a podcast right before this. And I was telling the guys, I was like, you know, I, there's very little difference between like old school country and old school soul. There's like one instrument hmm. difference. You know, like like Which old is, school country. Old school country would have would have pedal steel, sure. and old school soul would have B three organ. And they share the other things. They share so much. They so, shared so all much. the other stuff, and a lot of the emotion was the same. Like if you listen, to like like Percy Sledge, and like all this old school like soul music. Even like even like the Commodores. I mean, like uh, Easiest Sunday Morning, and like there's like like um like th that stuff is very c country sounding the emotion of it is the same right and so uh you know I, I started doing old school country records and and then you know slowly started incorporating all the music that i uh, obsessed with growing up and i was you know the kid that would you know sneak out of the house at, at you know, two o'clock in the morning, I, I would push the car for enough, far enough down the road so that when I started it, it wouldn't wake up the parents. And I would go get, grab my buddy and we would listen to, you know, uh, Nirvana, The Cure, um, on, on the way down to the dance club. And we would like literally go dancing and I would listen to, you know, uh, Merle Haggard, Don Williams on the way home. And, and it, it, all, it all made complete sense to me, you know? So, so truly, truly a, truly a song guy and not a genre guy. Like truly. Yeah. And, and that's what I did with this album. If in case you feel the same, if you listen to it, you yeah. know, uh, it sounds like a mixtape bec because it is. Cause I really think the people that connect with my music, if we were to go on a road trip and I would say, okay, play me your top 20 songs. There would be, you know, a Kendrick Lamar, uh, you know, Anderson Pack. There would be, um, you know, uh, Tame Impala or 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 the Shins. Um, Case, get a Casey Musgrave song in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A, yeah, a Chris Stapleton song in yep. there, and then you and then we would listen to a Kanye track, and we would just and we would love all of it. Yeah, like we would just like be so down with all of it, and so you know, instead of uh, and it's taken me a minute because I think there is a craft to writing songs. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think I could make this album at 20 at any other point in my life. Cause I think it's taken me this long to know how to put it all together in a way that doesn't 
you don't hear it doesn't sound calculated or you don't hear it you know um what you hear is hopefully just the songs but you know if you, you like like uh love moves in on the album i don't write that without being obsessed with sade and marvin gay like i just know i don't and higher you know i don't write that without listening to aretha franklin sing bridge over troubled water so many times in a row that you know <laughs> then i'm like okay we gotta move on um you know and and then you know like uh all i want is i don't listen to that without without uh bruce springsteen dire straits bob seger um and uh and then there's this song on the album uh uh, next thing you know, like that's a song that I had written. It's a song idea that I had had written down. If I ever got in the room with Beyonce, <laughs> dude, it could actually happen now. So you know, right? But I know how ridiculous this sounds. It's like you know, this was. I wrote this album. I started writing in 2016, and I started making it 2000. You know, I finished it in 2000, late eight 2018. So this album's been done for a year and a half, but. Back then, there was no like logical reason to think that I would ever be in the room with, with. But I do think that we are supposed to dream outside our means. I do believe that. So, um, you know, uh, but you know, I, the idea was you didn't break. You know, if I was in the room with Beyonce, she said, "Okay, what do you have?" I know I'm the one that's supposed to bring the ideas. Um, she, I, all I would say is, "You didn't break my heart; you broke yours." And she'd be like. Yes, because it sounds like an old school, like Diana Ross and the Springs kind of like idea. And I could just hear her fierceness and and all of it, like uh, singing that song. And and so it didn't happen. So I ended up like writing it. But if you listen to it, it's a it's a it's a R&B song. It's like, um, you know, I, I produced it for me so that it doesn't sound, you know, it, it ultimately it's it's how I would have done it, but I could, you know, if you listen to it, you're like, oh, it actually is a, a R&B tr track, you know. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I love it. Before so before we move on from your upbringing stuff, I'm gonna ask a dumb question, and it's dumb because I'm gonna ask you to do something impossible, and that is sum up your spiritual journey in a few minutes because you talked about growing up in a legalistic. Yeah you know, Christian, Christian household, as did I, and I won't, I won't, you know, spill all the beans on mine. I've, they've heard me a million times talk about it on this show, but yeah, very, very legalistic. I mean, all sorts of, I'm not projecting into your story, but in my story, the, the legalism brought all sorts yeah. of abuse, Oh yeah. uh, f physical, spiritual, all emotional, all the, whole, the, the whole all bit. And, and I somehow, you know, 20 something years removed from living under my parents' roof, I am still holding on for dear life. And there's been ups and there's been downs. And I've been a part of groups that I never want to be part of again, because I see how harmful they are in retrospect. But here I am in 2021, still holding on, still, you know, uh, you know, from my perspective, thinking, man, there's, I believe, I believe some part of this is true. And the some part for me is Jesus. Like, I mean, in, in my estimation, like fuck everything else. That would be like, the only, that the, would be the, the Bible. That, that's the only, that's the, that's pretty much the only thing I'd, I'd, I take. But, you know, like I, I would even say I, with this album, I wanted to make a record that with people that didn't look, think and believe like me. And sometimes it's hard to do in Nashville. 
I'm not saying it's impossible, mm-hmm. but you know, but the producer that that produced a lot of this record, Tony Berg, he's a massive intellect, like as as atheistic as as it gets. So much so where I'm like, I think thou protesteth too much, Tony. Like you want to talk about God <laughs> yeah. way too too much, you know. Um, uh, right. But you know, I, I think that's where, like, I, I the the church, the big C church, I think, has fooled themselves into believing that that um, unity comes. It only comes from diversity, and if it comes from anything else, that's called sameness. And so I wanted to make a record that sounded that had the tension that that unity creates, you know, because, um, and, you know, Tony, when we first met, he was like, I want to write a, I want to make an album with, and like he pr- produces, like he's produced like incredible people over the year. He signed Beck to Geffen. He A&R'd the Counting Crows records. Um, he found Fiona Apple and hired John Bryan to do that. Um, you know, uh, Phoebe Bridgers um, albums. I mean, he's he's just uh, a, a huge figure in the LA scene. And he was like, um, he's like, I want to make a record with a Christian that writes songs like you. And I was like, yo, man, that is a fastball. I'm like, I have no idea what a Christian is. Um, and I say all that to say, I'll give you what you're asking for, but I, I would just say that even my life now, um, I, I, I can barely trace my life back to the person. If I am a follower of Jesus, there's not much. Uh, so problematically on my part, you know, I mean, he was just, uh, you know, he was he was he was a, a real radical, and I think that we have justified um, our way of living because of our Western context. But um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I would say for me, um, growing up, I grew up very legalistic. Um, you know, got saved more times. I think I'll hold the world's record in saying the sinner's prayer, which is really a, a, a horrific thing. Um, but even as a young kid, I, when I would sit in church, I, I was like, I think basically all this is, is moralism. Now I didn't, I didn't have the um, articulation skills to be able to say, I, I disagree with you guys. I think you guys are just teaching people to be better moral people, but but that doesn't really solve any problems. That creates a whole new set of problems. And, um, you know, I, I think I would rather raise my kids um, and my parents did the best they could. So I, you know, I love them. Um, sure. Uh, totally. I, I, I think there was a whole generation that got sold a bill of goods that, that uh, that's the problem when, when something, when you start throwing God around, um, it, it's so manipulative because, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you want to make people happy. You want to, it gives you the ultimate Trump card. You know what I mean? You, you're never going to win. And so it, it creates all kinds of a place for, um, if people aren't healed, um, they can say they're saved, but they've never done the work of healing. And, and so they can use that God card in all kinds of manipulative ways. They can do spiritual abuse. 
God card, you know, this, uh, they could do physical yep. abuse, uh, sparing off the rod, you know, mm-hmm. God card, boom, you know, yeah. it just like all, all, all kinds of, of stuff. And, um, and it becomes incredibly, um, mentally abusive. Uh, and, and really, you know, what they've done is they've, you know, I grew up in a home where, uh, God was chosen over connection. And I think that's the thing that is, mm. that's the thing that probably you, you carry. It's, it's what I carry. That wound is a really, is, is, is deep. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I thought I would rather my, I would rather raise my kids in an atheistic or not atheistic, but in a, an agnostic family, you know, um, and trust the goodness of God to find in that connection and God's connection. I have a bigger view of God than, than the world. I like, I don't, you know, like, um, so what I've had to do is I've, I've really had to let go of any sense of connection with God. Um, I had to stop praying because the, the God that I was praying to was, was incredibly abusive and, and, and it really created a lot of the mental anguish that I had, I was experiencing. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that's what music is, is so incredible for, because I think music in a lot of ways, when I couldn't pray, uh, I think God talked to me and I could talk to God through songs. And I think, I think that's why, you know, there's this album that I made to be loved. I think that's why it, it, it hits when people want to talk about that album, they don't want to like, Hey man, I love that song. They want to like talk about that yeah they want to go deep because that's where it's found them and that's where it came from you know and so uh yeah you know i i've gone through certainly a deconstruction i i've thankfully i have some incredible people in my life but also i think richard Rohr has like really really helped me um he's guided me back into um even like I can read the Bible now without it like completely triggering me. Cause I just realize it's wild that you can read the same thing and, and take two different things away from it, depending on like your perspective. So, uh, you know, I, um, you know, uh, I'm probably would be a Jesus universalist at this, at this point. I, I, you know, I, I just, at, at no point um, could your son not or your daughter not be your son or your daughter, and and even the rejection of your love for them couldn't turn like like for instance if if I'm dating someone if I'm dating someone and it didn't she I loved her and she broke up with me I still want good things for that person. I wouldn't think because they broke up with me, I wouldn't think, I hope she suffers through her whole life. I hope nothing good comes to her. I hope that there is a neck or a boot on her neck from here on out. If I thought that way about her, God. Well, and, and that's so, that's a, that's a great, that's a great analogy because there are people like that. There are people that act like that, but you can't put that on God. You can't say, well, God is the most loving uh, being in all of the universe. Oh, and if you don't love him back, 
he hates you actually. And he's going to damn you to eternal, uh, eternal torment. Like that's the disconnect is there are shitty people like that. Their names are Donald Trump and a lot of other people. And you know, we, we could become that way someday too, but you can't put the two together and say, this is the most loving being that's ever, that's ever graced the, the, the existence of everything. Oh, but if you don't love them back, they that's what you. I would, that's the disconnect. And so my thought would have to be if we can. And, and so a, a lot of, you know, Christians would say, well, you know, God's ways are not our ways. I'm like, yeah, well, why do we have to believe the worst about God? Can't we believe the best about God? I mean, you know, you don't know. I think we've confused, you know, our beliefs for our knowing. And we know very little, but our, a belief is something that you believe to true, be true, but you don't know it to be true. And um, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I'm certainly come back around to a, 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 a on some level of reconstruction of, of, but, you know, it, there was no slippery slope. <laughs> uh, I believe in the historical Jesus, but I think I do believe that the Jesus as a metaphor might be more powerful. But I also believe, I also believe, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, 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 totally. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think what you're getting at and where I've come around to over the last few years is the less that we say for sure, the better off we are, right? The moment, the moment that we took the Bible literally word for word, when the reality is that really broken, fucked up people, all men, by the way, like all men, only men, yeah. right? Uh, when you look at this Bible that we've constructed and canonized and said, this, these are the very words of God, that's when you start getting into trouble because you can defend anything in the Bible. You can defend slavery. You can defend beating your wife if she doesn't submit to you. You can defend hurting your yeah. children. You can defend... You can defend shooting yeah. and murdering your enemies. You can defend all yeah. sorts of crazy stuff when you start looking at it literally instead of re instead of looking at it, uh, which we don't have time to unpack today, but in, in many different ways. Like I have finally come around too to a place where I can open the Bible and read certain parts and yeah. read certain things. And really it it edifies yeah, me. me too. It yeah. helps me. But but I couldn't two or three years ago because I came out of I came out of some of the people listening will have to look this up in and uh at some point, somebody actually, one of the listeners the other day was like, Nick, you need to share, like you yeah. were interviewing people for three years, almost 200 people. So you need to have somebody on your show interview you so that you can share your story. I want to hear you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Or please share now. I'd love to hear it. Well, just a few years ago, I was really deep into, so I worked for John Piper for years. I don't know oh, if yeah. that name rings a bell. Yeah. I mean, like the craziest Calvinist that yeah. there ever was, right? And, you know, Calvinism, it's again, it's a very deep dive, but essentially God before time began marked out who was going to become his yeah. children and everybody else was damned to hell. And I bought into that for years. I was a, I mean, I knew everything about it. I still know too much about it and I have to like cleanse my palate from it still, you know, on a regular basis when I talk about God and when I talk about the universe, and when I talk about people, but Going from there to where I am now, where I like how you put it, a Jesus universalist, I am very much a universalist. Like, if everybody's not in, then I don't want to be part of it, especially if you're saying that there's this God being over all of it that is in control. Well, then he's the worst God slash father slash mother ever if this God 
let some of his children like waste away into eternal damnation. Like that's the worst parent right. ever, right? And so reframing that for me has been yeah. so life-giving. And, and, and that's how we've approached it with our kids, Dad. You know, I have a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old just turned nine. And we, we very much, we have icons. So we're, I'm Anglo-Catholic. I, very, I, I love the high yeah. church stuff. And I, I love the mystery. I love the icons. I love the symbolism. I love the rituals. And so we've been immersed in that world for a few years. But all along the way, asking, like not telling our kids for sure on almost anything. And instead, inviting them into the conversation and saying, what do you think about this? What do you think when we you know, cross ourselves, when we hear about the Trinity or when we hear the gospel reading? What do you think when we do this? What do you think when we read this? What do you think about this idea? And that's been the best way to parent yeah. so far is not, not telling them this is how it is. My kid asked the other day at the table, I don't even know how they know about reincarnation, but they were talking about it. And they said, if I were to ever come back, I'd want to be come back as this. And I, and, and they said, is reincarnation a real thing? Maybe they're reading some book or something. And I said, I don't know. Like if I believe that everybody gets in, if I believe that, I mean, Rush Limbaugh passed away today. I don't have any nice things to say about that man. He did some horrible things during his life. So I'm trying to keep quiet about it. But if I believe that Rush Limbaugh at some point gets in, well, he didn't get in in this lifetime. I mean, he died screaming atrocities into a microphone about people of color and about immigrants and about all sorts of things, right? So what does it look like in the afterlife for that person to, is it purgatory? Is it reincarnation? Like, what is it? I'm open to all of those because I really do want Rush and the Donald Trumps of the world to like get to a place where they can get in, right? Because I, I I want that. I want right. that for everybody, you know? So asking or asking way more questions and being sure of a lot fewer things. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. I I don't believe that our energy is best used uh, calling. Um, you know, I it, it goes to a different. Um, I think one of the things that I love about Jimmy Fallon so much is that uh, a lot of these other talk talk shows like like they're 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 double they're biting down on the cynicism of what's going on they're the name calling and mm -hmm. and all of that sure. and you know what's incredible about jimmy is he's not done it and um and it's actually hurt him but it's to his credit that it's hurt him right um and because i think when you start calling names uh and you start doing that stuff like that it is you are now the opposite side of the same coin you're, you're, and I think that there, there just has to be an understanding of like, I mean, if I understand how trauma works and how it's worked in my life and how I've hurt people in my life, I realize when I look at, at a Russell Limbaugh or a Donald Trump, I'm like, man, I have a lot of compassion for that person because ultimately that's a person that's incredibly wounded and they're living out of, and they're living out of that trauma, which actually um, is not their most authentic and helpful self, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going back to the, the idea of, of God. I was trying to connect with my parents and I said, you know, um, we do agree. I said, you know, we believe different things about God, but we do agree on this. I said, do you believe that Jesus came to show the character of God? And they said, yeah, I said, I believe that too. 
um, to show us the character of God. Um, I'm like, yeah, I, I believe that. I believe that too. And I said, so here's what doesn't make sense is that at no point do I see retribution with Jesus. He was never, he never had any retribution towards anyone, right? Um, so it doesn't make sense if he's here to show the character of God, but he was never like had retribution or or gave retribution. Um, it doesn't make sense that he would then go back to a God full of retribution. Mm, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's a, that's a logical, that, that, that makes me have to leave my logic um, at the door and God made my mind. And, and so uh, I don't, I, I, and my mind is good. You know, it, it has to be an integration with all of it. Right. Yeah. That would, again, that would make God really uh, wild and terrible. If God were to send the manifestation of God's self to the earth in the person of Jesus uh, as a very compassionate, loving, I mean, took slaps on the cheek every single day yeah. for years, only for God to be yeah. cruel. The only, the only person he got mad at was, was at, at church. Yep. And I think what he got yep. mad at was people making money. He knew that, I mean, marketing was going on back then too, right? Yeah. And I think Jesus knew that. And I, I, he, I think he, this, he, you know, I don't know. I, I think um, that maybe what he was saying is like, this is a place of, this is a sacred place and you will not market and you will not make money on this sacred place. And I think, I think if Jesus were to walk around a day, I think a lot of churches would be just shocked at how he would, you know, um, unfortunately we have, you know, um, churches that are being run like businesses. And I understand logically, um, I believe in being sound uh, financially. Um, but the problem is, is the church is in a business um, and, um, and the church is a nonprofit. The church is actually a nonprofit and you run a nonprofit in a very different way than you run a business. It comes from a very different posture. It comes from a different mindset, different heart set. Um, but I would say that, the, you know, what's going on in the church now these days is, is you have, uh, and, you know, both my brothers are pastors. I mean, like I'm, I'm surrounded by it. You have, you know, churches that are running their church like a business. And unfortunately it, it is not, it isn't. Um, so anyways, I say all that to, to answer your question that it's, it's, it's been a long process and, and I'm still learning. Yeah. I love it. Well, you, part of what you said really, really helped me and reminded me that, I mean, that's very un, un, from my understanding of Enneagram eight, that's very un Enneagram eight to put the compassion foot forward when it comes to people, because I, and maybe, or, or, or let me say this, maybe you're way healthier than me. I think I'm fairly healthy in my Enneagram eightness, but I tend to be, uh, I tend to be very compassionate of people overall as, right. as a group. But then when, but then when we talk about people that are abusing and hurting and taking advantage of people, I want nothing to do with them. And I will be overly critical of them where your take, which is the right one. I'm not going to make excuses for my growth that I need to do. I, I thought this the other day on when Donald Trump left the white house on January 20, yeah. no, no, did not hand off the baton left early in the morning and went went to Florida. I, that day, 
it hit me like a ton of bricks and I was not mad at him. Like I had been mad at him for five years. Right. I was so sad for him. Yeah. I was so sad because, and then when you list, I'm reading, I'm reading Mary Trump's book right now about the Trump family. And I've watched some documentaries over the years about the Trump, you know, whole family and how they did business and how they acted. That is a man who desperately, uh, he, he has lacked care, affection, attention from those that he, should be loving him the most. That is a man that is deeply in need. And so I love this, uh, this compassionate outlook that you have, that you're, that you're well, pushing me on. That is not my natural outlook. My natural outlook is just to mow people over. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, at one point in my life, I would have, I, you know, my, if, I would I would tell myself I'd be like if something wasn't happening the way I wanted it to happen, you know I would say well uh, the door didn't open up, um, uh, you know and if I that all that means is that I just take ten steps back and I take a mm. bigger run and start at knocking the door down. Yep. So it's a growth thing. It's gr growth that's happened in your life. <laughs> Com completely. Yeah. You know who who really helped me. Is I mean I, I probably like save my life as my dog Cash. Mm. Yeah, well, what happened is I saw a lot of I saw um, well there was uh, in my family you know we told each other that we loved each other all the time but I didn't feel love from them and there's a very big difference between feeling loved and knowing you're loved right and, and i would say one fire puts off heat and the other one doesn't and nobody stands around the one that doesn't <laughs> you know and so uh you know i think that's where a lot of times people run towards people who make them feel loved and 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 the people that are in their lives are like i don't understand what's going on over there and and it's like well they, they might know you love them but like feeling your love is very different, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, what happened is when I had cash, uh, you know, I would tell him that I loved him all the time, but I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel that connection. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. Cause if I had wife and kids, like, you know, and I didn't feel that connection, I'd be really scared about that. And then also, you know, one time I was training him and, and, and he teared up my bed like, like tore up the, like the whole bed. Like I just bought new sheets, expensive ones. He tore them up. And, um, and what it was is I could have left cash in his, when I went out, when this was when he was a pup, I could have left him in his crate and, and he wouldn't have got out, but I felt bad for him. I didn't want him to like, you know, it's like, I'll just put him in my bedroom while I'm out for a few hours. And I come back and, you know, and he's tore up the, the pillow top on my bed you know, like he just, and I got physical with him. Like I was angry and, and, and I didn't have control over myself and it scared the shit out of me. And I was like, uh, we got a problem. I've seen that before. You know, I know what that feels like. And if that was my kid, I would be like, I would be beside myself. Um, so, you know, I went to onsite for a couple of weeks and it absolutely changed. It absolutely like changed my life. But having cash 
you know, I've had him for about two and a half years. He's, he's definitely been an incredible, uh, gift in my life to help me become more self-aware, um, and also to just more self-aware of like, oh shit, there's some things I'm, like I was acting out. I was what, what pain that's not transformed is transferred. And I was transferring pain. And I think, I think that ultimately, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting. We have a really wild thing going on in our world right now. And, um, and I think what's going on with uh, that's being, that, what's propping up systematic racism, I believe is systematic greed, right? But nobody's talking about systematic greed. Um, but we'll talk about systematic racism. But what systematic greed to me is that there's some people in this life, there's a lot of people that are so, so hurt that they need to have so much more than the next person in order to make their lives feel justified, right? And and that they need that much more than the next person. And we only everyone only gets one one lap around this thing, you know. Um, I know it might not work if if you believe in in you know reincarnation, but let's pretend that it doesn't, you know. And and if that's the case, um, you know. Uh, what happens is we call that when someone gets that much more than someone else, we call that success. <gasps> Wild, right? And here's what the church calls it. You know what the church calls it? God's favor on them. God's blessing on them. Blessings. Yeah. Yeah, man. <sighs> that is that is wild. Because um, that's not the radical Jesus at all. Like at all. Not even close, like not even close, you know? And so, you know, you know, if, if I could like talk to the, you know, this, uh, I don't want to say it cause it could go, it could, it could go so bad, but <laughs> if you want to change a culture, what you can't do is do the same thing as the culture that you want to change. You can't you can't repeat the same things that the people at the top are doing, right? So if the poor want to, if if people are rising up, you know, you know, let's say I, I could say it for me because I'm Native American, but as as a Native American, if 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 all of a sudden I become a lot more successful and so on and so forth, as far as like money and all these things, what I can't do is if I really want to change the culture. Of, of the Native Americans who, who really have been like incredibly talk about the, the conversation that nobody's wanting to have, <laughs> you know, like nobody wants to have that conversation. Then I, what I have to do is I can't spend my money the same way that predominantly white culture spends their money. And I would say any, any race out there that is, or ethnicity that is a minority when money comes your way, if you really want to mess with it, if you really want to, you know, fuck things up, spend your money differently. You, at some point you're going to have to show a different way, but you can't do the, you can't spend your money the exact same way as the system that you're trying to change. Yeah. People don't care what they don't care what you say. They care what you do. And 
uh, in my mind, I'm summing up the last few minutes of what you just talked about with hurt, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, man. And heal Absolutely. people, heal people. Yeah. And there are far too many hurt people out there. Like there are very few healed people because it, it's it's way easier to just live hurt. Healing you, there's hurts. No, there's, no, there's, no, there's no work in that. You just live. You just live how you've always lived. Trying to find that healing though is is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about let's. That's a good segue into talking about the 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 man who you have called the king of the uncynical and really the events of this last uh month and a half right yeah, yeah. so tell t- the story's out there but in a few minutes tell us what happened you know at the what you released this this album that you've been alluding to you know over the last you know over the last little bit you put it out if in case you feel the same you put it out uh and you had this whole you had two you had all the stuff planned that you do when you put an album out you tour and you you do all the stuff and then the pandemic hits, and it's a really hard fucking year for everybody, especially for people that require a live audience to do their work, right? And you get to the end of the year feeling down, feeling like I've been doing this for two decades. Uh, maybe I need to do something else. So so lead us lead us into what happened because it's just really, I mean, it's just fucking mind-boggling. It's and mind-boggling. I, I, and, and I want everybody to find their version of this because yes, I believe it's out there for everybody. And, and also while I'm sharing this story, I want to encourage everybody to think about what it looks like to be uh, Jimmy Fallon to the people in their lives, which is like incredible. Right. But I, I started making this record, this album in 2016 um, the name of the album is If In Case You Feel The Same. If you buy the vinyl, <laughs> we wanted to put a mirror in the middle of it, but the label was like, it's too expensive. Um, but but so instead they put like this, this like mirror, like sticker, but it doesn't even come close. It, it's so lost in translation. But what's supposed to happen is when you pick it up, I wanted people to see themselves. And, and you immediately, when you pick something up and there's a mirror, the first thing you do is you look for yourself. And if in case you in the middle of it, so it's an album for us. It's a, it's a conversation for us. Right. And so I've made this album. We've worked on it a long time. Uh, I've worked harder on this than anything I've ever worked on. Like by far um, started it here in Nashville, um, moved out to LA, finished it in LA, lived out there for about a year and a half. Um, and then came back here and the album was done for a year and a half and, and the label just kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. And I know what that means. That means that they don't know what to do with it. So I remember I got in a huge fight with the head of the label and I was like, Hey man, if you don't love this record, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, don't, don't be condescending to me. Like I'm smart enough to know I've been doing this long enough, like, send it right back because I love this album and I believe in it. And, you know, uh, and the people that worked on it worked really hard and they all work on really brilliant stuff. So uh, I'm not saying that this is brilliant, but I know that I, I, I worked with incredibly brilliant people from the engineer to the, to, to the drummers, to the bass players, to the, to the guitar. I mean, everyone is, if you go through the credits, it's like, good God, it's, it's wild. Brittany Howard from the Alabama shakes is singing on it, you know, and so, you know, uh, the, the, all of a sudden, you know, it's a year and a half. I've been 
this album had been done and and it's in we made a date of june june 26th and we saw the date coming and by then we were in you know at the beginning points of the pandemic and and the label's like hey i think we should push this back until after the pandemic things clear out and i was like hell no this album's looking clearly this album is looking for a fight and 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 it's got it like and um and they put it out and everyone you know i i have a really incredible group of people that um uh connect with the music that I make. Um, but it certainly has never like broken through. It hasn't broken out of the echo chamber. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it, it went really great for a couple months, but then you can't do anything. And, um, and, you know, I'd made a lot of out music during 2020 and, uh, and so, you know, beginning of the year rolls around been doing this for a long time i think my story is a song is a is a story of of perseverance and and um you know the thing that you can't do is when you're persevering is you you can't sound like a victim while you're doing it right so i think when i made this record it was me fighting my own cynicism and and which means that i can't sound like a cynical person like when i listen to a lot of music i hear i'm like oh jeez this guy is is you know, he's, he's a martyr. I hear, I hear his martyrdom in this, you know? And I'm like, it can't do that. I can't do that. I have to fight that. Like I have to make an album as though it's made me a bajillionaire. You know what I mean? And, um, and it has not, uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's be clear. Let's be clear. (laughs) Let's be clear. Not even close. Um, so, you know, the, the album had been out for a couple months and, uh, and, you know, it did what it could do. 2000, in the beginning of the year, I'm writing down in 2003 or uh, January 3rd, like my goals and intentions for the year. And, um, and on it was to look for a new career. It doesn't mean that I wanted to quit or I didn't want to make music. But at some point, you know, this is the reason why people that are listening, like, if you are a music consumer, buy albums. I know that you can stream it, but like, but buying an album chain, like streaming music is window shopping. Nobody can keep yeah, a business. True. Nobody yeah. can keep a, keep a business open. If there's something that you really believe in, put put your financial backing behind it because it's a lot more difficult than, than people could ever imagine, right? Um, but nonetheless, I wrote down, you know, to look for a new career. Um, release all the music that I made during the during the pandemic, um, and it was really an act of like surrender. It was like truly me surrendering. It's like okay, you know, enough people had to sign up for the conversation and make it sustainable. And 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 while I'm very appreciative of those who have, not enough are, are doing it really. And um, and so the next day, I sent an email to my manager and I just said, hey, I've got all these things I want to do this year. I have all this music I want to release. And, um, it was, it was, it was a long list of stuff. And, um, and he called me a couple hours later and he was like, Hey man, he was like, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about the list of things that you sent today. I'm like, okay, well, you want to talk about like Jimmy Fallon heard your song swinging and he's obsessed with it. And it's like his anthem. 
you're going to be playing with the roots on the 26th. And uh, <laughs> what do you feel in that moment? That's insane. It's insane. I, I don't, shock is not a big enough of a word. Disbelief is not big enough of a word. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was my version of God parting the seas. Um, like not just doing something that I couldn't do for myself, but how, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, and, uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I was shocked. I, I, couldn't believe it he told me and i just sat there in silence for like a minute and i was like are you you know are you messing with me and he's like no and i said i gotta get off the phone and i got a phone and i like bawled my eyes out for like an hour so I, I, it didn't even register because i was like because when he told me it's like the roots are going to be your band i mean i i i had listened they'd only had one other person come in since lockdown so when he told me i was like oh well so i need to put together a band and go up there he's like no the roots are going to be your band, which is crazy because they don't really play for hardly anybody. Even if you're no. a black, even when they're playing, they, they don't play, they play very little. So anyways, I, uh, I collected, I gathered myself and, and I went on a walk and I thought, okay, like, how can I help? And how can I make Jimmy look so freaking brilliant you know like i want to make jimmy look so brilliant and um so i went for a walk and i, I remember thinking okay i'm a good storyteller if i can go on my social media instagram and tell the story of of what's happened then maybe it will get to him and i think jimmy will know what to do with it and this is what i mean know what to do with it i was thinking at best he would before I played because normally it's like Antonite's musical guest is whoever and then they play. It's that quick, right? Here's what I was hoping for. Jimmy would say, um, because now we got some some like info that he had Shazambit um at a at a hardware store. Hardware store. Buying a the label had it didn't come from the label, it didn't come from the manager, it didn't come from a publicist. I didn't even have a publicist. I didn't have a publicist. And nobody knows this, but the label quit on that album. Like quit. You know? And I'm eight pissed off. <laughs> you know, I'm Enneagram eight injustice, anger, like I'm like angry. And um, so, anyways, uh uh, I went for a walk and, and I was like, if I can tell the story, I think Jimmy, and so here's my version of what I thought would be like the incredible thing is that before I played, he just said, Hey, I was walking through a hardware store and I heard a song and I shazammed it. And I thought, Oh my gosh. And I love this song. And little did I know this artist was about to quit music and go do something else. Um, but the next day, um, because I shazammed the song, um, he got he's here playing some version of that. What did that take? Twenty seconds, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> That's what I was hoping. I was thinking maybe that because that could help people. That can help a lot of people. The idea of like, don't give up, you know, like you don't know, you don't know what's coming. Um, and, uh, and that isn't even close to what he ended up doing. I mean, he, the, the generosity of this guy is just beyond belief. Um, and he went on Friday night before I played, I played on a Tuesday, Friday night, he tells like for three and a half minutes, this whole thing and pulls out my record, you know, and, and I just don't think he knows how, <laughs> how I actually do. I think, I think he actually saw me. I think why he did what he did is because he saw me. Right. And I think we think of somebody like Jimmy as not being human. But, but, you know, um, because he's not like doubling down on the cynicism and he's not doubling down on the name calling, it doesn't mean that he's ignoring it. Cause I've seen him give some very heartfelt, um, commentary on things that are happening in the world at the Capitol, but he's not doing, he's not doing, and I, and I love Colbert, but he's not doing that. He's not calling names. He's not, he's not making a spectacle out of how much, um, you know, he hates Trump. And, um, and I think, uh, that the, like, nobody knows this, but like the, the Monday before I played, it was the fourth lowest rating that the tonight show would ever have in the history of the tonight show, which lets you know that, um, I think Jimmy probably, I don't know this, this is all my speculation. So all speculation, but uh, that means that probably during this whole thing that the, the Tonight Show's um, ratings have been really low, not to Jimmy's discredit, but to Jimmy's credit. Because people are hungry for cynicism and they Jimmy wasn't serving it, you know. Jimmy was serving joy and levity and sometimes that doesn't feel as good as anger and being mad. And... Uh, and I, I bet that Jimmy on some level is like, I don't know if they got the right guy for the job. Like, I know what needs to happen. Like, you've got to have, like, advertisement and, like, all these things. And that's not who I am. It's not who I want to be. And I think when he heard that song in the – he heard my version of that come through the speakers. You know, and he was like, oh, my God, because I was going through the exact same thing. So for all of you creatives out there that are listening and entrepreneurs, like, like, don't lose heart. Keep heart. Stay courageous, um, because I think we just don't know. Like, little did I know it that entire time. I don't know when Jimmy had heard it, but it was months before he he was listening to that song all the time. And I didn't know it. I didn't know that I had Jimmy Fallon listen to my music and you don't know who you're impacting or who you're affecting. And um, so, you know, what happened is I went up there and I, you know, it was an incredible thing. Uh, and and it, a lot of times when people play the tonight shows or, or, or Colbert, like it doesn't really move a needle. You know what I mean? It, it becomes a cool thing, but it kind of comes and goes pretty quickly and nothing like, like it, what that's not the case here at all it's like is <laughs> it's, it's put me in a place where i i wasn't um because he just didn't talk about that he talked about the friday and then he basically did a whole sec like a whole 
like episode around the song swinging. And then he kept um, talking about it for the next week. And then I went on the today show and then did an interview. And then that's when the song went number one, the album went number two, which is like mind blowing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was watching the whole thing unfold from the sidelines and I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking Jimmy, Jimmy doesn't have to do what he's doing right no. now. Mm-hmm. He is giving, he has tens of millions of social media followers. He is sharing your story. He's telling people to follow you. He's again, as you pointed out, most guests, like you come on, Hey, here's their album, play a song. You're that's amazing. And then you're off and that's it. He doesn't, does no more talking about it. But he just, he wanted, you could tell this wasn't just a shtick for him. This was, I want people to pick up what Thad is putting down. Like, I want them to get this anthem. And really, I mean, swinging, dude, swinging is a fucking anthem for all. I mean, it is the anthem for this whole pandemic season. I mean, because they're so, I've seen people, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure in your sphere of influence as well, but what I've observed is a lot of people during this pandemic surviving and I don't blame them for it. Like just let's just get through this thing. Right. But, but then I've seen people persevere, press on. Uh, and, and I, I think that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened here yeah. is you had no, you had no idea that Jimmy was listening, but even with your label, you know, saying we're done with this album. We're just not going to do anything with it. They sat on it for years. It's finally out. We can't do anything with it. You pushing through all of that. You know, I, I love, I'm, I love stoic philosophy. It, it blends very well with a lot of the stuff that I believe. And Epictetus is one of my favorite stoics. And he, he says this, don't seek for everything to happen as you wish it would, but rather wish that everything happens as it actually will. Then your life will flow well. Oh, wow. And I think I see a lot of that in consciously and subconsciously in this story. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it wasn't, I don't think this would have happened if Jimmy, if, if, if uh, Kimmel or Colbert or any, uh, anybody else would have heard it. It could have only been Jimmy. It, it literally could have only out of anybody I in the know. entertainment space, Jimmy Fallon. This is what's so wild about it. Like you said, no publicist pumping your stuff, sending a thousand emails out. It was Jimmy getting a light switch in a local hardware store in Brooklyn. Like that's, it's just insane that all of those things were happening at the same time. I mean, God bless whoever that DJ was that I interviewed her. You did. Yeah. How did that go? It was unbelievable. It it was like the interview was 15. Like I, I didn't interview her. Like I called her up and I, and I had my friend video the phone call um, it, the phone call lasted like 15 minutes, but, but we edited it down. But like at some point she and I are crying. Um, here's what's incredible about this story is when she was eight, her dad gave her a microphone and her dad had a room full of albums. So she was, she's been pretending to do this her whole life. And then she and her husband bought this radio station. So she runs the radio station. She's the program director and she and her husband own this and she's been doing what she's been doing her whole life <laughs> it's just so incredible on so many levels and I, and I asked her I was like when you played that song you had no idea 
I mean, she's like one of the, she's like one of the big heroes, you know, it's like, if not the, the biggest of all of them, because there had to have been something that's like, what's, what's cool about DJs is DJs are trying to hit the mark between what people want and what people need. 100%. And I'm, I'm sure it's like, uh, this is a killer song. And I think this, you know, it's a Monday to two o'clock. People need a feel good song. I know exactly what to give them. And people are like, oh man, I didn't know I needed to hear that song, but I'm so thankful, you know? And I think that's what's cool about having DJs and radio is because sometimes we don't know what we need. And, you know, when we're just looking for music ourselves, you know, we all need guides and, you know, DJs are incredible guides. I'm so glad that like, I've had that in my life and yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible conversation between the, the two of us, but yeah, we were, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll link to that with everything else. Did you ask her? I wonder if there's even a way to figure out what were the songs around it? Because again, as you pointed out, they're trying to give people what they, what they, what they want and what they don't know that they want. Right. It's a, it's a blend there. It'd be interesting to see like what the flow was. Cause they, they're very intentional most of the oh, time yeah. and like how they build out these segments. Right. And mm -hmm. it would it would be wild to see like what they were putting you in between like oh this is the perfect place to stick it, um, because it's just insane. I, I didn't ask her. It would be it would be really interesting to, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it's it's such an incredible story. I I wanted to talk to you about it. We've gone all over the place in this conversation, but I wanted to talk to you about it because I want people to whether it's music or whatever they're doing, whatever Business, you're doing right whatever, now, whatever whatever you're doing. I am completely convinced that people give up too soon 90% of the time, 99% of the time. And like if people knew, and some people do know, very few people know, like even with this show, with Let's Give a Damn, I have spent tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point on this show to get it to where it is. Yeah. And the show isn't a top 10. It's not a top 100 show. The doors that it has opened, though, along the way would never have happened had I not committed to, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there right now, yeah. and most of them never make it past episode 10 and 20, right? They give up because they're like, oh, people have dreams of like their show becoming big, and then it doesn't go anywhere, and they, they stop. They yeah. quit. And yeah. I was like, I'm never going to fucking do that because I know this is what I need to be doing. It's something yeah. that people need to hear. And so now we're at episode 181, 182, and I've been able to have, you know, it, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, uh, when Priyanka Chopra Jonas puts out her book, her team reaches out to me and says, Hey, we heard, we saw, we heard you interview this person. Would you want to be one of the people that she, that she does an interview with when her book comes out? Yeah. Like that would have never happened had I not gotten to 180 episodes in. Absolutely. Because they, they want to see faithfulness. They want to see you like know your shit. Yeah. And so I just want people to get so badly, no matter what you're doing, keep going. And yeah. there's a, th th there is a, there is wisdom in knowing when to move on. There is wisdom. And, and that's a hard, that's a hard needle to thread. That's a hard line to toe because there are people that are like aimlessly, like, you know, if, if, if I at five eleven, you know, I'm the son of an immigrant, I got, I like, I can play football, I can play soccer, but that's about it. Like if I was to say, man, I want to be in the NBA. Well, I don't want people to encourage me to keep going. I want people to give me a reality check, but that's not most people. Most right. people are doing something because they feel like they should be doing it and they want to do it. So keep going. 
Who gives a shit if people are listening right now? Are you happy doing it? Are you excited doing it? Do you want to put this out every week or, you know, new albums or whatever it is, uh, this business that you want to start and it's just keep going, like keep, keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think if, if, if you're trying to be a friend with someone and you're trying to figure out how to help them and it, it, the difference between saying, Hey, I think you might want to think about something else is here's how you can get to, to it really quick. Ask them why they're doing what they're doing. That will tell you whether you should like, that will tell you everything. Right. But I will also say to those who are listening, um, that I don't get here without a lot of other people. hundred percent. And it also has taken a lot of me swallowing my own pride and asking for help. And some of that help has been financial. Honestly, I don't like to ask for help. I like to give help, mm, you know, Same. but to do something beyond my means, which, which sometimes in order to do this, it takes money. Right. And so I've had people that, that, that I've asked for help. I've had some friends give, I had some friends didn't, but I've also had friends that it, people that are now friends that I didn't, I would have never have thought would help me on my journey. And now my journey is so much bigger and these albums are so much like this album to, you know, if in case you feel the same, it doesn't get made without my dear friend, Randy Luddy doesn't get made. It, nothing happens without that guy. Um, he, he, and, 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 you know, some, some friends well-intentioned, uh, will see the path, um, and the path always, uh, entails suffering. Um, and they, you know, out of, and it's more there, they don't want to suffer themselves. And so when they see you doing it, it might make them feel bad about like, oh, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, so what they do is they offer you an off ramp. You know, and you get it, but it kind of pisses me off. It's like, hey, you know, you can go do this. I'm just like, no, like this is what I'm, this is my deep purpose, what I'm supposed to do. But here's what the best friends do. They put fuel in the tank and they say, keep going. And there's a lot of different ways to put fuel in people's tank, right? Um, but a lot of times it's also necessitated me telling the people around me my needs, what I needed. And that that's not easy either. You know, like we have a, you know, talking about finances is so, uh, we just don't talk about that stuff. You know, we'll talk about everything else, but like, we're not going to talk about money, you know? Um, but th that needs to be broken down too. That, you know, like we need to talk about like, um, you know, uh, don't assume that everything that comes for you is for you, <laughs> you know, or comes, don't assume all the money that comes your way is for you, you know? And, and, and not, and, and maybe not just money. It might be a lot of different things, a lot of different resources. So, you know, I don't get here without, I, I feel like I'm the Jeff Bezos of friends. I, I, if, if you could see all the people around me that have helped me get to this place, you know, if the room would be shoulder to shoulder. I could talk to you for hours. We'll do that another time, but I do really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Know, um, I really, this... I really enjoyed this. Good, good. Yeah. This album, I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes because it it was it didn't just stay here. I mean, it went it got picked up by Rolling Stone and People, and you were on the Today Show the next morning after your after your show after the Tonight Show. Like, and and I, I believe really really good things are in your future. Thank and, you, I believe and, so and, too. And to wrap it all up, like it is, I love this last part that you put in there. The people in the community, like it took 
there are a thousand different things that had to take place for Jimmy to hear this album and for this to happen. Yeah. A thousand. Yeah. Everything down to this DJ and her getting a mic at eight and you know what, like all of that. Life and the so label having enough guts to put it out. My manager being crazy enough to take me on at 46 when, you know, and thinking that he could break a 46 year old artist, the level of, of, I mean, he's, he's gotta be on some level straddling um, delusion and reality. I mean, you know, like you have to be a little delusional, crazy enough to say like, Oh my God, I think I'm going to help this guy. Like the, the world needs to hear this guy's music, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I, I think the world of you, Thad, thanks for sharing Thank you. your story. I'm so excited about what you make next and um, we'll have that cigar soon. All right. Peace, brother. Take care. Thanks. Dearest friends and damn givers, thank you so much for joining Thad and me today. If you haven't already, please go watch Thad on The Tonight Show. Go Google that. Go YouTube that. Go find the other video on YouTube where Jimmy shares the story from his perspective of how he found out about Thad and the song Swingin'. Go stream and purchase Thad's music today. Support the amazing work that Thad is doing. And please visit letsgiveadam.com to learn more about all things Let's Give a Damn. I'm so grateful that you showed up to listen today. Thank you for being here. If you like what we're doing, share this episode with a friend. Consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you have an extra 30 seconds. And this episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out to me anytime for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.